You're listening to Lozano Smith's podcast, where we discuss important changes in the law and legal decisions that affect public agencies. Welcome to the Lozano Smith podcast. I'm one of your Lozano Smith podcast hosts, Karen Resendez, and managing partner of the firm. I specialize in serving school district clients throughout the state regarding governance, human resources, labor negotiations, and student issues. This is going to be the first of a series of Lozano Smith podcasts highlighting what school district and public agency leaders need to know about artificial intelligence, otherwise known as AI. I'm really lucky to be joined today by three outstanding leaders in our firm's artificial intelligence working group. I'll start with Nick Clare, senior counsel in our Sacramento office who specializes in advising local agency government clients on a variety of matters, including the Brown Act, the Public Records Act, Prop 218, elections law, ethics, governance, financing, CEQA, and human resources, as well as advice and counsel regarding facilities and business. Prior to joining us, Nick was a legislative analyst with the California Special Districts Association. Next on deck is Rob Lamelli, who is an experienced attorney in our San Luis Obispo office. Robert primarily advises and represents our clients regarding public meetings, governance, contracts, investigation, human resources, and labor negotiations law. Robert is also a law professor at the Monterey College of Law, teaching law students about legal issues facing public agencies, including those related to AI. Karina Demerchian is also an attorney in our San Luis Obispo office and a member of our special education practice group. She specializes in serving our public school district clients regarding their special education obligations under the Individuals with Disabilities Act and regarding all other student-related issues, including but not limited to student privacy, rights, and records issues. Karina also recently co-authored a client news brief regarding California law and instructional materials. So with this very esteemed panel today, I'm excited to jump into our podcast. So we hope that our conversation today will be a primer for public agency and school district leaders regarding what they need to know now about artificial intelligence, otherwise known as AI. So what I'd like to discuss first is what is artificial intelligence or what is AI? Um, Nick, can you share with us what it is in a nutshell? Sure. Thanks, Karen. So AI is kind of a a pretty broad term. It it goes back kind of decades. But for our purposes, the thing that's kind of driving the current kind of interest in it is generative AI, uh, which is broadly computer systems that generate new content, right? So uh, text generation, image generation, video generation, those are kind of the new kind of platforms or, or things that we're thinking about. Uh, large language models in particular are, are pretty exciting because they not just generate text, but they also have these kind of capabilities where they're thinking, reasoning, understanding, having creativity in kind of a way that at least looks like uh, what a human would do, whether or not it's actually human reasoning is, is kind of up for debate. But, but that's kind of the, the big focus of, of what's driving interest right now. Uh, what our clients have probably heard about is ChatGPT, obviously probably the biggest, uh, most popular large language model platform that's out there. Uh, there's 
a bunch that go along with that. There's Anthropics Claude, which is kind of a competitor to OpenAI. Uh, Microsoft's Copilot, which is being built into all the Microsoft suite, uh, Office products, Windows, stuff like that. That relies on OpenAI's models. Google's Bard, which by the time this comes out, maybe Google Gemini, the rumors are. So uh, just making that timely. Uh, but that's that's being built into kind of Google Workspace products that I'm sure a lot of our clients will be using. All of these are platforms where you're able to interact and utilize large language models. The, the other kind of just piece of this is um, those are kind of the big foundational models. They're general purpose. They can do a lot of stuff. They're also domain-specific models, which are very focused on particular tasks and expertise. We'll probably be seeing more of those in the future. And clients should also realize that there's a bunch of um, open source models that, that they might be able to utilize depending on expertise and, and that sort of thing. Uh, these are models that are not proprietary, that you're able to utilize, potentially run on your own hardware or your own cloud platforms, which can provide some benefits, particularly as far as the privacy stuff, because you're, you're not uh, putting data in somebody else's cloud. So in a nutshell, that, that's the... <laughs> that's the hard part, Nick. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, Nick, if I'm a, a city council member or a teacher or a school board member, can I just log on to the internet and access some of these AI platforms? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. And and you largely can. So, OpenAI has ChatGPT, which has free versions. So, anybody can log on and use that. Same thing with Google uh, Bard which may be Google Gemini soon. Uh, same thing with Microsoft Copilot. So these are all free. You can log in, you can use them. There are also paid versions of most of these platforms, in particular OpenAI's ChatGPT, which has GPT-4 currently, uh, which is a much better model. And there's like a lot of difference between the different capabilities of the models and what you're getting as far just in terms of capabilities and privacy and like a lot of different stuff. So that's something public agencies should really be thinking about too. It's, it's not just one, you know, one model does everything. There, there's a lot of different capabilities and a lot of different pros and cons with the different platforms that are out there. So if I'm not a computer scientist or an engineer, I'm 16 year old student or a 50 year old teacher, yeah. can I just log on and use it right away? Or do I need to be able yeah. to code and have some technical expertise? No, that's, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Th these are designed to be conversational. So you, you do not need the code. In, in fact, you can have ChatGPT code for you if, if that's something you're interested in. But these are, are definitely designed to be uh, conversational, easy to use. You just ask it a question, have a conversation with it, you know, whatever it is you want to do. And they're, they're getting more and more conversational with each release. So these are very easy to use, which is kind of why these are kind of a big shift because you don't need the code, you don't need the you don't need a specialized program. You just ask your computer basically a question and it answers for you. So it's super accessible for just about anybody is what you're saying. Yeah. So Robert, I have a question for you. Um, I know this is a big question, but why do public agency and school leaders and employees need to know about this? Why, why are we doing this podcast? Why is it important for them to understand AI as it relates to their daily work? Well, I think it goes back to um, a lot of what, what Nick was saying 
in terms of AI has been around for some time. I think it's just the ability for AI to have these conversations and, and this ability to, to interact easily that has made it far more accessible and a lot more uh, attractive and option for individuals to use. And because of its conversational nature and, and the ease of use that's now found within the new models of, of this generative AI or chat GPT like programs, um, you have a lot of staff members, a lot of individuals throughout city or school entities that are now utilizing a lot of these resources in order to have these conversations with ChatGPT in order to ask it questions. And so I think it's of utmost importance for these entities, for employers, for governmental entities to know what AI is, to know how it works, because they, they'll need this foundational knowledge to be able to adequately address any of the issues that may arise uh, when employees or staff members use these AI programs. And so with a good knowledge of how AI works and what AI is, these employers and agencies will be able to not only to guard against potential pitfalls, but they'll also be able to identify those areas where AI is most useful uh, for these entities and for staff members. So you've established that AI can be useful, but it also has pitfalls. Before you we get into the pitfalls and the opportunities, can you describe what in your experience, public agency and school districts, staff and community members are using it for now? What have we observed? Sure. So I recently had an, uh, an incident that occurred where I had uh, city municipal staff members send me a uh, ordinance resolution for review. As part of that review, they were proposing modifications to some existing definitions for uh, land use uh, within a zoning ordinance. As I was reading the ordinance, it had some peculiar language um, that related towards uh, mobile food vendors and potentially mobile food vendors being those that involved vehicular uh, or, or vehicles that were being pulled by animals and or people. <laughs> and so, so really it, it caused, it, it caused some pause in me. And, and I reached out to the, to the individual staff member and, and I asked if they had, you know, not wanting to make any assumptions. I asked if they had any issues related to motorized vehicles or food cart vehicles that were being pulled by animals or people through the city. And they kind of started laughing a little bit and said, no, why? They said, well, why? I'm curious why you have that within the definition of a, of a mobile food vendor. Um, and then I was also curious if they had, if they had kind of gotten this type of a definition from another city or, or really just trying to figure out how they had arrived at, at do at, this definition that they wanted to use. And ultimately the, the staff member just said, well, we use chat GPT. Ah. And I said, Oh, well, did you use the most recent version that you have to pay for? Or did you use the free version? They used the free version <laughs> <laughs> right. because it was free. So after, after talking to them about 
kind of the the limitations of the free version as compared to the newer versions that are paid versions and and discussing with them you know how ai was beneficial but also to realizing that just because it can help you do something doesn't mean that you just let it do everything for you you still have to provide some type of of review process for for the things that that it provides and so we were able to work together and come up with with a definition that actually worked with the ordinance amendments that were being proposed and one of the other things that that uh, incident or that example led me to kind of determine was the fact that the, the way generative AI works is it, it will give you a response based upon the information or the prompt that you present it with. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you simply ask it, generate a definition of what you think a mobile food vendor is, it will generate to the best of its ability what it thinks you're looking for. Um, but it doesn't have the ability to be able to look at other ordinances unless you provide it with that information it doesn't have the ability to go outside of what you've kind of cued it with to provide you with an answer. So it has no way of ensuring that the definition it provides you won't conflict with other code sections or other ordinances or other definitions um, that are already, you know, enshrined within a municipal code, unless of course you provide it with that information. And so that's kind of leads right into the fact that these employers and public agencies and, and really staff, need to fully understand how best to utilize AI to maximize what they get out of it. And I don't think that this particular staff member, it had even occurred to them you know, that they could add extra information to ChatGPT to be able to get it to check for conflicts. Um, and I also don't think it, it really had occurred to them that that they needed to do that or that that was something that they should do. And so, it was rather enlightening for the two of us because it helped me to understand that this is something that's actively being utilized by staff members. And so it's something that we need to we need to get out on and, and get in front of to try to address, the, you know, the, the educational component of all of it. But it also really helped that particular individual realize, um, you know, that there were some limitations and and that they couldn't just allow ChatGPT to do everything for them and that it would be perfect. So you're emphasizing humans in the loop when it comes to AI. You, you're the first human in the, the loop of just identifying some of the limitations from the text that AI generated. And then in working with um, your client, you were able to work through that issue and, and provide a little bit of an education regarding the limitations on AI, it sounds like. Yes, absolutely. The the human in the loop is is essential. And and I will also preface that I was curious to see if I could get a better response from the premium version of Chat GPT versus the free version. And I have to say that the response from the premium version or GPT four was substantially better than the one from GPT three point five. And it was very accurate, concise, and it also correctly referenced uh, vehicle code provisions within the California vehicle code to address uh, the definition of a mobile food vendor. So these, these, these things are getting better, but it still also requires that human in the loop because even with that substantially better response, 
it still would have conflicted with some of the other items that we were doing. So it, it really just goes back to, it will give you as good a response as it can based on what you do. So sometimes it could be user error that is really causing it to provide you with a, with a faulty you know, information. So you need trained users and then the particular platform that you're using, ChatGPT has evolved from 3.5 to 4.0 and will continue to evolve pretty rapidly. So we we need to keep up with that. So Karina, can you give us some examples of how AI is potentially being used um, in the school district or school environment? Yeah, definitely. I think its use is already pretty widespread, Karen, whether that's in terms of districts using it or employees or or parents themselves. So for example, in New Jersey, Newark Public Schools started piloting Khan Academy's AI chatbot Conmigo. So the districts themselves are implementing these programs. And then, you know, I'm primarily a special education attorney, so I'm always going to plug uses of AI in special education. In that context, we're seeing ChatGPT being used by both by parents uh, and by special education um, educators to draft things like Uh, goals and services and accommodations for IEPs. So if I'm a parent of a student with disabilities and I'm curious regarding what possible accommodations my child might be eligible for, could I just go to ChatGPT and put in that question? And and then what happens, Karina? Absolutely. Like um, Rob and Nick mentioned, it's a very conversational um, type of platform. So you can go in and say, you know, recommend accommodations for a student with and, you know, plug in, you know, any type of of disability and and you'll get a long list of accommodations. And I've tested out the program and and oftentimes, you know, it's it's providing very um, helpful things for parents to come into an IEP meeting with and and at least have an idea of the types of accommodations that can be provided for their child. So in some ways, it's providing greater accessibility and understanding for, for parents, possibly. And we'll talk in a few minutes about some of the downside of all of this, but there, there seems to be great opportunities here. Um, Nick, are there other ways that AI is being used by public entities and schools? Yeah, absolutely. So there, there's there's a lot of potential here and a lot of things that I, I think, you know, public agencies, school districts are just kind of at the, at the beginning stages of exploring how this can really be transformational. But like one, one example is um, accessibility, translation, things like that. So you can use ChatGBT uh, or, you know, an, you know the, the LLM of your choice to do translations of, you know, you have a document that you're sending out to parents or posting publicly, you know, you can run that through ChatGPT and, you know, have it translated into a different language, whatever languages you need. Like Rob was saying, human in the loop, and and you were saying, Karen, you still want to have that checked, but it it can save a lot of time um, as far as that kind of stuff with the image and video generation, audio generation. uh, So it can do things like translate videos. So you have a board meeting or a city council meeting and you want to post that video online, uh, you can have it for for actually very cheap. I was playing around with it. $5 a month. You can go ahead and have that video not only uh, translated into Spanish or, or whatever other language you want, but it will actually pick up the audio, the voices of the speakers. 
So, so when it translates it into Spanish, it'll have the actual voices of the people who were speaking suddenly speaking in Spanish and using the same inflection and stuff they did. So the, the video of the meeting to the viewer, I mean, obviously it's not perfect, but it looks like the meeting was just held in Spanish. So it's, there's like a lot of potential here as far as like accessibility, translation, potentially start doing that stuff live. So, you know, Spanish uh, speaker can just click into the meeting, hear everything that's happening in Spanish, hear all the inflection. They're not missing anything, you know, when somebody's being sarcastic or something like that, because they, they still hear all of that. Wow. So if uh, I have a three-person board or city council member with Nick, Karina, and Rob, um, it will sound like you. And we'll right. include your your tone and inflections. Yeah. And so it appears that the three of you are fluent in another language and people yeah. can follow. So it's, it's a huge opportunity for accessibility. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The mouths won't match, but, but the voices will. Yeah, it'll look like bad lip syncing is what you're telling <laughs> right, me. Exactly. Okay, got it. Got it. So this all sounds great, right? Um, it sounds like a... a shortcut to drafting ordinances, an opportunity for parents to have more information about the needs they have for their children, opportunities for accessibility for the public at large. So if everybody's using it and it has all this great opportunity um, for improving service to our constituencies, so what's the problem? What's the problem? Karina, you want to take that one? That's a hard one. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll start the conversation off. I, th I think that there are definitely downsides, of course, that our clients need to be aware of. So I think in particular with our clients, they're working with a lot of sensitive information, right? So just like with every software application or cloud service, privacy is going to be a big concern. Um, in the context of AI, we know that user input and responses can be used to train current or future models. So we always want to remind our clients that if they're using these AI systems, we want to make sure that the systems they are utilizing have sufficient data protection, um, including not training on user inputs. Karina, can I interrupt you for a minute? So when you say training on user inputs, are you saying that people who work for our public agency and school districts shouldn't be putting anything that's private, like student names or birthdays or, or employee information into AI because there's a risk of disclosure? Exactly. We, we want to make sure that they're refraining from putting any personally identifiable information into those systems, especially if they're using a, a free version of uh, something like ChatGPT. We'll get into you know, the, the other types of versions that there are. Um, if there's an agreement with the service that says that they're not utilizing the information you know, to train future models, our recommendations might be different. But as of now, I think we're seeing that a lot of our clients are using the free version. So just refraining from using or inputting personally identifiable information to those systems is our general recommendation. So if I'm a teacher and I want to use AI to help me with grading of papers or doing a rough draft of, a, of goals and objectives for a student, our advice to our clients is do not put any information that's confidential into those prompts. Exactly. Yes. Okay. What are some other 
issues or potential risks with AI, Karina? I think the other big one that we hear about often um, is bias. So the answers that we get from things like ChatGPT, they're fundamentally going to be shaped by the data that they're trained on. And that data is generally all human generated. Um, and it doesn't always you know, provide a neutral or unbiased representation of reality. So these AI systems learn by identifying patterns and correlations in the training data. If that data includes prejudices or biases, the AI is likely going to inadvertently learn and then replicate those biases in its responses. So bias is a big one to be aware of as well. So GIGO, garbage in, garbage out. If you put in a prompt and the system, the AI platform was trained to based on information that has bias, then the response could potentially also have bias. Exactly. Nick, how accurate is AI generally? And what are these things called hallucinations that we hear about um, on social media and in the news? Right. So, so I think a really important thing for like everybody to understand is, is LLMs don't have like a database of factual information generally. The models themselves so they're not when you ask it a question you know just the model itself isn't looking something up so I, I think one way to understand this is like imagine i sat you down and asked you to write an essay about a topic of my choice and you weren't allowed to research anything and you weren't allowed to say you didn't know you had to write the essay no matter what i tell you there are some topics that you're going to be pretty good at things that you might be really interested in. Maybe you've read, you know, 10 biographies about the, you know, president of your choice. You know, if you write that essay, you're probably going to get a lot of stuff, right? You might even get a lot of the like details, dates, names, stuff like that, right? Because you've seen that information over and over again. If I ask you something more obscure and I force you the right, you know, you're, you're going to, maybe you'll get the gist of it, but you're going to be like, if you have to put down dates or whatever, you're just going to have to make them up because you you just don't know. And that's the same way that LLMs work. For, for certain things, they're very good at having a good understanding of things and, and specific details and stuff. But like Karina was saying, you know, it all goes back to the training data. If they haven't seen certain things, you know, a million times during their training set, they're going to, you know, they're in the same situation where they're forced to give you an answer and they're going to make stuff up because that's just how they, they work. They're, they're generating text. Right. So that, that's kind of hallucinations in a nutshell. I mean, the, the, the most basic way is to understand is sometimes they will make things up. Right. So it's always really important um, to, you know, have that human in the loop for, you know, checking accuracy and those sorts of things. There are like new techniques that, that are coming out. Retrieval aug augmented generation is the big one. So in, in my hypothetical, at this point, I'm giving you the opportunity to look things up. So your answer is gonna be better if I let you look things up, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, it's still gonna be limited as far as, you know, what you look up, you know, how you did that research, and, and you still have, you know, you still might misread things. So you, you can still have inaccuracies even when you're looking things up. But in general, it's going to be a lot more accurate. Most of the, uh, you know, Copilot, um, Google's, Bard, 
uh, the premium GPT-4 of OpenAI, they all have like citations and stuff built in, but, th but they're ultimately searching the open web. So, you know, they're, they're doing, I think in all, well, except for Google, they're all doing Bing searches. So that's, that's the quality of information you're kind of getting there. Okay. So Robert, um, can you add to this conversation regarding some of the potential impacts from AI adoption? Well, I think, I think one of the things that most entities or individuals don't really consider is, I guess, some of the risks that would be associated uh, when an organization is late to adopt uh, AI or to understand AI while all of its uh, stakeholders or the you know, general public uh, gets to a point where they have started to utilize AI. And AI really does, it, it, when used correctly, it will help everyone to become more efficient and effective. And it can put other people at a disadvantage who aren't familiar with it. And so one of the things that we've identified is the potential to use AI for um, you know, disinformation uh, potentially by users. Again, it's not, a, it's not that AI is inherently going to do something like this. It's more so that users will prompt it or utilize AI in order to help spread disinformation. AI has the capabilities, as Nick and Karina has aptly stated, to code programs for you. And so if an individual can learn or, or train to accurately prompt a GPT or any type of a generative AI program, they can get the program uh, you know, to generate code and to generate you know, email mass mailers that could potentially lead to disinformation. Um, I'm currently dealing with a situation involving uh, recalls and initiative petitions. And as I'm dealing with that, I, I could very easily see where an individual could utilize uh, generative AI in their efforts to try to uh, spread information out to the voting public to sway their opinion on a particular item, topic, or matter within the community. It's it's almost like a multiplier. It's almost like a threat multiplier, right? It, it makes someone far more effective on their own as what typically it would have taken tens, if not hundreds of people to be as equally as effective. And so really understanding how potentially this disinformation can be spread out. Um, it's, it's really critical for everyone to know that this can happen and, and to have something in place to be able to try to address these issues. And a lot of it comes down to just um, information. It's similar to social media. Uh, with social media, when it, it came out and it exploded in popularity and in use, there were a lot of unknowns. But over time, you know, we as a society have been able to identify some of the dangers, but also identify the benefits. And so we're able to really address a lot of those issues through education and awareness. And I think that that's really one of the key ways in which we can help um, our clients and, and the general public to be prepared to um, really address some of these issues. So education and awareness, that's, that's a key point. I hear a lot about issues regarding deep fakes and cybersecurity issues related to AI. Can you explain what a deep fake is and what some potential 
cybersecurity issues. And I get AI is not a creature. It is a tool. <laughs> and in the hands of a bad actor, they I've watched enough TV um, to know in the hands of a bad actor, almost anything can be used for, for bad. So, but can you kind of illuminate what a deep fake is or what some cybersecurity threats are out there that people are worried about related to AI? Sure. Uh, deep fakes have gotten extremely publicized within the news lately, especially if you're a Swifty, then you will understand <laughs> wholeheartedly uh, the impact that deep fakes can have. Um, and, and like you said, uh, this, this is great technology, but it can also be used for nefarious purposes by the wrong people. And so deep fakes are essentially the use of an AI that can manipulate video or photographs or audio in order to propagate some type of a video or an image or audio that seems to have originated from uh, one particular person or multiple people, while in fact it was not said, spoken, or done by those individuals. It was simply generated uh, utilizing an AI process that created all of these items, married them together, and was utilized to make it appear to others who aren't necessarily aware of the abilities of AI to think that this was, in fact, something they had done. Um, and it can be used from, from anything to making it appear as if a an important political figure or a local political figure or government official or a teacher or school administrator, really, it, it can be anyone can be targeted by this um, or even students themselves can use it against one another to make it appear uh, as if, you know, a student or that person had done something that in fact they had not. Um, and then they can spread that information. It kind of goes viral throughout the internet and it can be very damaging to reputations, to individuals, and, and really to uh, organizations and entities as a whole. And so uh, really organizations need to be aware of that. Uh, I recently saw an article today, I think that was sent out by uh, one of our coworkers uh, describing an incident wherein an individual had been really fooled by a deep fake and had fraudulently paid out millions of dollars uh, in, in fraudulent claims utilizing this type of deep fake technology. And so this is one of the things, again, that just kind of harkens back to education uh, of staff so that they can realize how these items can be used against them and recognize them. Also, too, as, as it comes to cybersecurity, it's interesting because uh, AI can be utilized to try to identify um and I know a lot of the generative AI programming has is being they're putting safeguards in place to prevent the ability to do this. But, you know, it, it has been demonstrated that often you can ask a generative AI to be able to uh, provide programming code in order to find susceptibilities within certain other software programs, because at the end of the day, just like English or any other language in the world, coding is its own language. And so generative AI will uh, build out these items as it would any other language. And so the interesting part about that is just as easily as AI can, can potentially locate these, these susceptibilities within security systems, it can also be utilized at the same time to be able to identify when someone's trying to uh, identify these weaknesses. And so it's, it's kind of this, 
this back and forth, I think that we're going to be seeing through through the cybersecurity field of individuals trying to use AI to exploit things while they're also utilizing AI to protect those very same things. And so our best recommendation and advice for this is that if individuals or entities or agencies are going to utilize AI, that they that they also ensure that they have robust cybersecurity measures in place to be able to protect from outside individuals um, from trying to utilize some of these resources against them. So AI can be both a sword and a shield, and we want to make sure that our clients are aware so they can put up that shield uh, to protect themselves from bad actors. So Nick, hearing about these great opportunities, hearing about these great risks, um, are there lots of laws in place at the federal or state level? Are there lawsuits out there? What's happening from a legal perspective to protect our communities and our children from the risks? Yeah, yeah there, there's a lot going on. A lot of it is still pretty preliminary. Just I want to add on just real quick to what Rob was saying too, because like a lot of the like AI generally isn't giving us like a whole new class of problems. It's just making the problems that that agencies already face like that much bigger and and kind of more, you know, Rob said threat multiplier, which I, I think is is really good way of thinking about it. You know, Photoshop has existed, right? But it, it takes skill to do. You know, you have to learn Photoshop. But, but AI makes makes things a lot easier. But as far as regulations, you know, there's so the Biden administration put out an executive order. The big substantive piece of that is, is really regulating the AI models themselves, the new models that are coming out. And, and even that is more about uh, the federal government uh, gathering information about the models. Uh, but a lot of the rest of the executive order was directing other agencies to develop their own regulations. So the, um, the Biden administration put this out in the fall. And basically, a lot of agencies have like a year to come up with, with regulations, including the Department of Ed, um, basically everybody, right? All, all like all agencies have to like, I think there's one service that's uh, tracking these. There's like 150 kind of requirements of different agencies that are going to come. So we're going to see new regulations coming and, and they're going to be coming this year. And part of that will be on the AI models themselves and what you can use. And, but part of that will also be how you can use them, you know, in the employment context, watching out for uh, bias, data privacy, how they're used in education, all those kinds of things are coming. Uh, the, California legislature, there, there's a dozen or so bills that are being introduced about AI, kind of the same theme there. A lot of these bills are kind of exploratory, you know, creating commissions or, or commissioning reports, but some of them go to, you know, how AI is used, when you can use it, what kinds of systems you can use. So that's something we'll, we'll definitely need to be watching out for too. Um, there's a big liability risk here with copyright, which is its own kind of topic. Everybody has probably heard of the New York Times lawsuit at this point, uh, but but that that has big implications for less so for for users of AI, a lot more uh, impactful on the AI systems themselves and what you'll be able to use if uh, you know New York Times wins that. But but also you know if you're using an open source model and it was trained on copyrighted data or it's able to reproduce copyrighted information and you know you're you're an agency who's running that on your own system 
have you violated copyright law? I don't know. Like these, these are all big open questions too. Um, and, and then just kind of the general liability, you know, we've, we've talked about, you know, hallucinations and inaccuracy, uh, you know, Rob, Rob's talking about kind of over-reliance to an extent there of, of, you know, employees, you know, taking themselves out of the loop and, and relying on AI. So like, what's the liability risk look like for that? Right. So if, if AI makes a bad decision, makes a bad call, puts something weird in your regulation, and, you know, that leads to harm, you know, what's that lawsuit look like? You know, probably ultimately the agency is going to be responsible for that. But, but you know, we're, we're very much in uncharted territory on all that kind of stuff. So, Karina, Nick's talking about the agency being responsible. Can you talk a little bit more about humans in the loop and accountability and liability when it comes to our clients um, and their employees and staff using AI. Yeah, I think Nick and Rob um, have mentioned throughout this conversation the importance of keeping a human in the loop, right? So a big takeaway for our clients is going to be that they are likely still going to be responsible for the decisions that they make, even if they use AI to you know, inform those decisions or advise on those decisions. So if AI is used we like to say it can be used as a tool, but it really should not be the ultimate decision maker. We do have to make sure that a human stays in the loop um, throughout its use and stays accountable for the decisions that are being made. So what can public agencies and school employers do to create some parameters or guardrails or regulate the use of AI by its own folks? Um, Nick, do you have some suggestions? Yeah, I mean, so we're, we're still very much in the early stages of this, but agencies really should get ahead of it and try to develop some policies, put some parameters in place. You know, like like Rob was saying with his experience, I, I think there's like a lot of employees that you probably don't know are using AI and, and they are every day. So getting ahead of that is is important. You know, evaluating systems, you know, what systems do you want your agency to use? evaluating use cases, probably on a department by department basis, what can employees use it for, what shouldn't employees use it for, keeping in mind, you know, things like bias and privacy and that kind of stuff. And to the extent possible, you know, hiring expertise or, or seeking that kind of outside uh, expertise to help develop those policies. And, and it's, it's going to be kind of a learn as you go kind of thing. It's, it's brand new technology, like we're still working out like kind of the use cases and stuff still, still working out the risk. So it's, it's going to be something that the agencies are going to just going to have to keep adapting to and, and modifying as they get more experience with it. So given how rapidly AI systems, LLMs are evolving, given that chat GPT became available, open AI chat GPT became available to the public November of 22. And here we are, at the very beginning of 24, in a few months, it's all going to change and continue to evolve. Robert, Karina, do you have, um, given this rapid pace of evolution of AI, some general recommendations for our clients regarding how to manage in this new world? I think uh, it almost goes hand in hand with, with the fact that 
the first and overriding consideration would be not to ignore AI and pretend like it doesn't exist because it is very much here and it is not going away. And so understanding that uh, our general recommendations are, are like what Nick said, uh, that the use of AI should be limited to certain procedures and, and processes within each agency or entity, um, that there needs to be that human in the loop component. And uh, part of that human in the loop component is that that human obtain adequate training and stay up to date on any of the developments that are happening with AI, which can be a very onerous task considering the uh, advancements that are being made on a near daily basis with AI. So, so really continuing the human in the loop, limiting use of AI to certain circumstances, uh, understanding where it would be most valuable and where it could potentially create more risk uh, and ensuring that all of that works cohesively within the processes, procedures and policies of the employer or entity as it were. So that may even require a public entity to go back through and, and revise their policies and, and really look at all of their old policies to determine how or if AI impacts those policies, some of which will likely be related to employment decisions or utilizing AI in order to be able to draft staff reports. So all, all of these things really will need to be looked at with a fresh set of eyes uh, based on the outlook and, and the knowledge that AI is here. It's, it's evolving every day and, and that agencies really need to identify those areas where, where it can be used and should be used. Thanks, Robert. All of you have done such a great job. Um, I just want to thank you for your insights and your time today. Today was the first of a series of Lozano Smith podcasts focused on AI issues. Please join us for future AI podcasts focused on special ed, labor and employment, uh, public agencies, school governance, facilities and business, and much, much more. If you'd like additional information about today's topics, including our 10 guidelines for use of AI, what every great leader needs to know about AI and guidelines on that topic, please visit our Lozano Smith's AI resources page and please visit our podcast page at lozanosmith.com slash podcast. Additionally, please subscribe to our podcast and sign up to receive our firm's client news briefs so you don't miss the latest in the world of California public agencies. Until next time, take care. If you have any questions about this topic, please contact the hosts of this episode or an attorney at any of our eight offices throughout California. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the information contained in this podcast is necessarily general, its application to a particular set of facts and circumstances may vary. For this reason, this podcast does not constitute legal advice. We recommend that you consult with your counsel prior to acting on the information you heard. Thank you.